know, one of the primary thoughts we have when we consider the last days, you know, we kind of automatically think about how are we going to deal with the difficulties? How are we going to, what are we going to do when, you know, things go bad and how are we going to react and, you know, how are we going to survive and all of those things? Um, you know, it's, it's the unknowns. It's the scary bits that kind of, you know, I don't know if they keep it, keep you up at night, but you know, if they, if something that automatically comes to you, um, you know, we know from what Jesus said and what he shared in the rest of scripture, that the last days are going to be a difficult time, right? It's going to be, um, well, in fact, he said really in the history of the world, there will never have been a more challenging, difficult time um, for its inhabitants, but um, especially those of the kingdom of the Antichrist. You see that it, it's especially difficult for them. Uh, but there's also a concept I want to consider that I think brings a balance to this, this thought, because we as believers, we know, well, there's a, there's a difference made for those who follow Christ and those who walk with him. We started off by considering Israel in the land of Goshen. And there's a difference. They, God made a difference with his people during that time of judgment. And so, you know, it's that concept that God wants to preserve and hide his people in times of trouble. And we can see that from many places in scripture, many verses, um, especially in the Psalms, because you know, David wrote a lot of these psalms, and he knew what it was like to have to hide, in you know, both in the natural, but hide in God. And and you know, I'll read a couple of those psalms. David said in Psalm seventeen, verse eight, he cried out to God, "Lord, keep me as the apple of your eye. Protect me." And we're very protective of our eyes. We wear all sorts of goggles if if it's going to be, you know, dangerous or get dust or anything in our eyes. Hide me under the shadow of your wings. And so here's that prayer of David when he was going through a dangerous time, time when he was having to flee, probably a lonely time. And so his, he was saying, Lord, protect me like you would your own eye. Keep me safe. Hide me under, the, under your shadow. Of course, the, this concept here with shadow is, is he's referring to the most holy place in the tabernacle with those outstretched wings of the cherubim over the mercy seat. Um, and the mercy seat was David's hiding place. He said, Lord, I'm going to come for mercy <laughs> to the mercy seat. And those wings are up there. Cover me and protect me under the shadow of those wings. Another verse, Psalm 91 and verse 1. He that dwells in that secret place that we just read about shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He that dwells in that secret place is covered by his shadow. You know, so David knew what it was like to be hidden and protected in God and um, because he, he had made God his secret place and he could abide under his shadow. There's another Psalm, and this one's a little more unique. I was, I was kind of just considering the context of how he wrote this one. Um, and this one was written uh, concerning his sin with Bathsheba. Right? And so that's a little bit different. It wasn't someone pursuing him. He was dealing with even the consequences of his mistakes. Um, you know, David, even though he could, 
you know, he committed these grave acts of adultery and murder. He repented. He humbled himself. He acknowledged his sin. And, and he said this in Psalm 32 and verse 6. He said, For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto you in a time when you may be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Verse 7, You are my hiding place. You will preserve me from trouble, and you will compass me. You'll surround me with songs of deliverance. I, I like that one. Lord, you're going to be my hiding place. You're going to preserve me from trouble. You're going to surround me with songs of deliverance. And that's really beautiful, not just because of David's words. I mean, the words are beautiful, but he knew what it was like to be hidden in God, to be protected in the midst of a very terrible situation. And, and he knew a variety of them. Some were outside sources. Some were caused from within, from his own mistakes. Um, and I, I really do love that last phrase, to be surrounded with songs of deliverance. That kind of paints a picture for me. You know, I can think of, of the many times in David's life where maybe he was being pursued, where he, you know, the enemy was on his tail and he was running, Lord, what do I do? And God showed him, he gave him wisdom for that situation. And maybe he found a hiding place to, you know, a canyon to hide out in and Saul's army went on past. And you can just imagine David saying, Lord, thank you. And just a rejoicing. He had to make that split second decision and he escaped. And you can imagine them singing songs of deliverance to the Lord, songs of praise and thanksgiving. He probably had a lot of those times, many songs, thanking God for deliverance. Maybe that's also a pic good picture of the last days too. I mean, there'll be a lot of probably close calls and uh, you know a season of being chased in the wilderness like David was by Saul, uh, but yet we're surrounded with songs of deliverance. You know, God wants us to know and be surrounded by many experiences of songs of deliverance in our lives. So we need to sing too. Lord, thank you for your deliverance. Now, this actually leads us to a good question. When we're considering this concept, um, the question is, where are we hidden? Where are we hidden? That's, that's something that's important because, you know, we've looked at David, we've looked at the last days. Um, there, there are definitely times when it is a real and present need to be hidden from an outside force. Like in David's situation where he had, he was on the run for years. Um, and, and also in the great tribulation, it talks about the saints needing to be hidden. In Revelation 12, it talks about the woman speaking of the church, being, being hidden from the Antichrist, the enemy seeking to pursue her. And I wasn't planning on reading this passage because it gets a little weighty in some of the end time doctrines, but there's something I, I saw there that really jumped out at me. In Revelation 12 and verse 14, it's talking about the woman and we're, rep, we're looking at her as representing the church, a group of believers trusting in God. And, and so it says, and to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, 
that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she is nourished for a time, times, and half a time from the face of the serpent. And so the serpent lets out a flood to try and swallow her up, but God preserves, get, prepares a place for her, gives her wings to fly away. Um, I'd never really caught that phrase. Uh, she was given two wings of a great eagle. Because I, I think that helps us to answer this question, where are we hidden? David, many times in, that we read, his hiding place was under the shadow of those wings. It was those wings that he trusted in. It was that place of the mercy seat, going to the mercy seat and being under the shadow of the presence of God. And I, and I, I kind of never really saw that illusion is that the woman was given two wings and that is what lifted her up and carried her into a, a place of being preserved. And so David said, Lord, it's under your wings. I trust and I find my refuge. And, and so in, in its essence, this is what it means to be hidden in God, to find a hiding place in him, in his presence. That's really how we can be hidden, how we will be hidden in our lives now and in the last days. Now, it's not a guarantee of trouble-free time, is it? <laughs> we, we know that clearly from, from David. But yet in that, we can still find our refuge in God. We can still safely trust in him and rest in him. And I think one of the principal illustrations that Jesus gave to us from his own life was in the three gospels where they all speak of Jesus being in that boat in the storm, right? Where the, the Sea of Galilee, they were just kind of after a time of ministry and they're on the Sea of Galilee and a storm comes up and it must have been a, a pretty big storm for the seasoned fishermen and sailors to start to fear for their life. They think this is it. This is the, you know, this is the last storm we're going to see because it's going to sink us. And then where was Jesus? Fast asleep. And, you know, it wasn't bothering him. It was a storm, but he was just asleep. He was at rest at perfect peace because he had found a hiding place, a place of refuge with his father. And, you know, no storm was going to touch him there. You know, there's another illustration that I was, I was thinking about. Um, you know, if you've read the book called The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom, uh, you know, she wrote that book. It's both uh, a tragic tale and a wonderful story of preservation uh, because her family, it took place during World War II in the Netherlands and her family made the decision to hide some Jewish people who were being persecuted by the Nazis who had occupied the, the Netherlands. And, but they were eventually found out. Like their hiding place was discovered, you know, and the family was arrested. And Corey and her sister were sent to a concentration camp to Ravensbrück. And uh, what's significant about the story is the title. It's the hiding place. Now, when you first think about that title, it, they had a hiding place for the Jews in their, in their house. 
But really what it turns into was how Corey and her sister were in the worst situation you can think of, but they found a hiding place in God. God became their refuge in the midst of a terrible situation. And they found a place of strength, of preservation, of victory. And she was able to share that story around the world. And she's still sharing it through her many books. You know, there are, those are some of the most encouraging faith-building books when you see if she went through that, then well, we'll be okay if we can trust in God ourselves. And you know, the main idea I want to convey is that being hidden in God both now and, and in the last days, is it, it's more than just God preparing a bunker in the wilderness for us, right? A last day's bunker stocked with all sorts of food and whatever. You know, we can, we can get that, that concept, but really being hidden in God is learning to look to God and place our trust in Him to make Him and His presence our hiding place, our refuge, no matter the circumstances that we're facing. That's really what it means to be a, a hidden one. We know Pastor Bailey wrote a book on you know, God's hidden ones, but really it comes down to us hiding ourselves in his presence, looking to God and finding rest in that. I have a quote that's included in the slides here. It's by um, Corey Tenboom, she said this. I thought it was it was a really good quote. He said, or she said, "If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. If you look at God, you'll be at rest." And that's really what it comes to. Where are we looking to? What are we investing ourselves in? What are we? You know, in one sense, you could say hiding ourselves. I don't know if we really hide ourselves in the world. We can try to, but we'll be distressed if we do that. We can try and do it ourselves. That'll just make us depressed. But if we hide ourselves in God, we will find rest. I think that really encapsulates what it means to be hidden in God. Now, I don't, I'm not saying that there won't be times of, God's people literally be hidden, being hidden. Uh, you know, I think that will happen around the world, but I, I actually think the point of it, and I think that we need to look at this perhaps as a point of qualification for that in the last days, is that those who are hidden are those who have already hidden themselves in God, in his presence, learn to trust in him, to hear his voice, to look to him. To hear a still small voice coming from the most holy place, from that ark, from the mercy seat. Now, if there was one portion in scripture that reflects this thought, I think it would be Psalm 27. Um, and we're, I just wanted to look at this uh, at a little more detail just for the remainder of this message. We won't look at the whole thing, but this is another of David's wilderness psalms, probably written when he was fleeing from Saul. And, and, Let's read this, this passage here. Psalm 27, 3. It says, Though a host should encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, 
to behold the beauty of the Lord and choir in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he will hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle, he will hide me. He will set me upon a rock. And now shall my head be lifted up above my enemies round about. Therefore, I will offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. And so David knew what it was like to be pursued, to have, you know, not have a house where he could come back to and be at rest. He just always had to be in a different place. He literally had armies pursuing him. I, I don't know if you can get his last days as that, right? To have a whole army pursue, trying to find you and you have to be on your guard. And, you know, Saul had spies everywhere, you know, promising to report David's location if they saw him. I mean, um, if, there, if there's anyone who could qualify as a last day saint or relate to the last day saints, it would be David and what he went through. But in that, what did David learn to do? He said, even though I'm pursued by these armies, my heart won't fear. Though war comes specifically for me, I have a strong confidence. And what was his strong confidence in verse 5? For in the time of, tr of trouble, he will hide me. In his pavilion, in the secret of his tabernacle, he will hide me. He'll set me up upon a rock. That's a good confidence to have when everyone is out who's out there is seeking your life or seeking to capture you or do harm. David had found the best place of refuge. It was in under the shadow of the Almighty. And notice that the time and the circumstances, it says, in the time of trouble, you will hide me. And it's, it's almost as if trouble or difficulty is, is kind of like a catalyst that propels us to seek God even more than we would if there was no trouble, right? If there's no trouble, we don't really necessarily need to be hidden or don't seek to hide ourselves as much. You know, it's kind of like God allows certain difficulties to come into our lives and we say, Lord, what's going on? Why, why have you allowed the enemy to come into my life? You know, it seems like he's coming in like a flood. And then we think, well, what did I do wrong to qualify or to, to, to experience this? David didn't do anything wrong. You know, at this point in his life when he was just trying to be faithful to Saul, he had not done one single thing wrong, but it's almost as if he qualified for a new phase of walking with God and being learning to be hid with God. And it brought him to a new place to have one desire. As it says in verse four, one thing have I desired of the Lord and that I'll seek after to just dwell in his house all the days of my life. Behold his beauty and acquire in his temple. David said, there's only one thing that matters. And that's what I want to get to. You know, he had been brought to this realization, this singular focus in his life through a lot of trouble, a lot of danger. Uh, there's nothing like trouble that causes us to realize what really matters, what is solid and what is not, what is trustworthy and what is not. David knew the people around him weren't very trustworthy. 
the people that even in towns, even when he went and saved a town, Lord, are they going to give me up to Saul? Yep. That's, that's where David learned, well, Lord, I can only trust in you. There's only one solution. It's to go to the one that is higher than us and to develop that single eye for God in his presence. Now, there's that verse in Song of Solomon that says, Behold, you are fair, my love, you are fair. You have dove's eyes. Speaking of the, the bride of Christ, and that's what his church is to be, to have dove's eyes. And, you know, the significance is that doves have a binocular vision, uh, meaning they can only focus on just one thing. You know, if you focus in you know, binoculars on one thing, then something farther away is going to be fuzzy. You can just focus in on that one aspect. And, you know, that's what we're to be like with God. Lord, I just want to focus in on you. If I, if I change the focus to something else, then he is out of focus. And that becomes a problem in our life, then we can't see the danger coming. He's the one who we look to for the warnings, for wisdom, for the word that will help us to escape. Someone described dove's eyes as have, having undistracted devotion. We can be devoted to God, but sometimes we can have distracted devotion, right? Where it's intermittent, where it's changing from times to time. You know, like, like Adam and Eve in the garden had a wonderful devotion with God, walking with him, wonderful communion, until they got distracted by the serpent who said, you know, you don't really need God to be like him. Um, you know, you can, and, and basically they understood that. You mean, I don't need God to live a good life. I can do things on my own. And mankind has been distracted ever since. By, the, by other things. And, but God's purpose is to bring us back into that state of undistracted devotion. And Two more things in this. David said, I have desired one thing that I may dwell. You know, he recognized the need to dwell in the presence of God. That's the only way that we can be safe, that we can be hidden, both in this life, in the, in the difficulties, you know, now, in the difficulties we face. You know, sometimes we say, well, we're in the last days. We're not really. The Antichrist isn't here yet. We haven't seen him yet. We're not in the last days, but yet we can still have troubles like the last days. We can still have our great tribulation. It feels like it anyway. And so that we can't wait until the last days to make God our place of dwelling, our abiding John 15 and verse 5 says, I am the vine, you the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same will bear much fruit. How does the church in the last day become so glorious? It's because they'll go through much trouble, but in that they'll make their abiding place in Christ and they'll bring forth much fruit. We don't have to wait till tribulation to do that though. Right? We can make our abiding in Christ today and bear much fruit in our lives, in our walk with Him. And then the last thing, back in, in Psalm 27 and verse 4, it says, to behold His beauty and inquire in His temple. You know, we make His presence our abiding place, and then we behold Him and inquire of Him. We ask, 
we receive direction and guidance. Another thing Jesus said to his disciples just before he left the earth and went to the cross, he said in John 15 and verse 16, he said, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained that you should go and bear fruit, right? That's only as we abide and that your fruit should remain and that whatever you ask of the father in my name, he may give it to you. And so part of abiding in Christ and bearing much fruit is having a relationship where we can behold his beauty and his presence, but that's not enough in, in essence. Apart the one that kind of like that last piece of the puzzle of being hidden and abiding in Christ is asking and hearing of seeking him and being led by him, by his spirit, by his, his still small voice, his direction and submitting to that. We're called to inquire in his temple to receive from him. And his promise is if we ask anything in his name, he doesn't, he doesn't necessarily promise I'll give it right back to you. Sometimes he says, well, he, he's, his reply is asking, keep on asking and wait upon me. But his promise is he will give it to us, the answer, the response that we need, the word of direction and counsel and guidance. And if that becomes our way of life, we will be abundantly fruitful. You know, that was the difference between Abraham and Lot. Right? They, they came to that place of division, contention with their shepherds and sheep and flocks and all that. And, you know, Abraham said to Lot, you choose. Where do you want to go? You choose. And Lot looked with his eyes and he said, ooh, that place Sodom. It didn't have a bad reputation at that point. I, well, who knows what the reputation was, but it looked like a good place. And Lot chose it with his eyes. But Abraham said, in essence, he said, Lord, I'm going to let him choose. But Lord, would you choose for me? You direct me where I should go. And after Lot chose his way, he waited for the Lord's leading. And, and God told Abraham, you go this way. And I'll give, and then he, get, he got some real promises for his inheritance and his seed. But that's really the way. Adam, Abraham had a relationship of seeking God, inquiring of him, and being led by God. And that's a good, that's a good prayer to, for our life to go by. Lord, I have some certain desires, I have some ideas, but oh God, choose for me. Don't let me choose. Don't let me live my life by my own choices. That, that's Lot going off in that direction. But Lord, choose for us. And he leads us in the way of life. He leads us into a hiding place, a place of preservation. And, and so in, this, in the last days and in our day, we want to be those who are hidden in God. We realize that in order to do so, we need to learn to hide ourselves under the shadow of the Almighty. Come to the mercy seat and say, Lord, cover me with your wings. I want to dwell in your presence. That might involve some difficulty. In fact, even the Lord encouraging us to come to his mercy seat, he'll bring some difficulty in us that maybe will encourage us to do it more than we would otherwise. And we have to seek God. God. 
as our one thing, to have a single eye, to focus upon him, to abide in his presence, and to inquire in his temple, to live continually with him and to hear from him, to be led by him. And in so doing, we will be preserved because we are hidden in Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the wonderful promises, the wonderful opportunities you are giving to us in our day and in the last days. Lord, we desire so much that we would be a people who are hidden in you, who have that place of protection and covering and shelter, not in something that we have in the natural, but Lord, in you. We know that everything in the natural can change in a moment. Oh, but God, we look to you who does not change and you remain forever. And so God, we just cry out to you for mercy and grace that you would help us to do those necessary things, Lord, of, of looking to you, of abiding in you, of hearing your voice and following where you would lead us. Oh, make us a people who would dwell in your presence that we could be hidden in you today and in the days to come, we ask. We thank you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.